everywhere you look, our college unbound students or graduates are making change in that city. Mm -hmm. I would hope someday mayors would say, we want you here because you are, this is the next generation, you know, 80% of our students are women of color with an average age of 35. Mm -hmm. And they become the movers and shakers, you know, so one's leading the Black Lives Matter movement. Somebody else is leading this movement. So I think we're helping to, our students are helping to change the world, which is what we need. Hello, welcome to season two of Ingenious You, the podcast where we talk about higher education, innovative practice, and leading edge thinking. Your host is Melissa Morris Olson. The challenges facing colleges and universities short-term and in the years to come are immense, and yet many institutions are adapting in surprising and inspiring ways. In each episode of Ingenious U, we will talk with higher education thought leaders about the academic transformation that is underway. Our guests will include college and university leaders, faculty, innovators, futurists, and others who are thinking about and experimenting with new approaches. Be sure to hit subscribe to Ingenious U wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, you can rate and review this podcast and share with your colleagues and friends so they can join the conversation too. Everyone, and welcome to this episode of Ingenious You, where we consider the most urgent and provocative topics that are reshaping higher education. And we have the opportunity to speak with higher education's most creative and visionary leaders. I am joined for this episode by someone who perhaps needs no introduction. Dr. Dennis Lickey is co-founder and co-director of the Met School, co-founder of Big Picture Learning, and founder and president of College Unbound. He is nationally known for his game-changing and extensive work in secondary education in urban, suburban, and rural settings spanning over 40 years and now in higher education. His work as an educator has been featured in a movie as well as a book. He is an author the recipient of many awards and honors, and he is a double doctor. He has a double PhD in psychology and education from the University of Michigan. We will include a link to his full bio in the show notes uh, for our listeners so you can all see the full scope of his accomplishments. But for now, Dennis, welcome to the Indigenous You community. We like to start out uh, by asking our guests to tell us something about their professional and their life journey. Now, in your case, you've been described as a radical educator, as someone who works up against the edge of convention and out of the box, and as someone who has changed the conversation in this country about education. So can you tell us, how did you find yourself on this pathway? I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. and in their prosperous times. And somehow, anytime I saw things that I thought were not fair, um, they, they got me thinking, how do I make life more fair? Uh, and you know, that went from when I was a camp counselor, I took the toughest kids. Um, 
I trained as a psychologist, um, but then my first job was down in Ocean Hill, Brownsville, which was a community district in the late 60s that was set up to look at community control. So it was probably the most radical place in the country. New York City set up a black school district, a Latina school district, and a, um, an Asian school district and tried to give them more control than they had in New York. And uh, I was involved with Rody McCoy in the Ocean Hill Brownsville, the black district, and he removed seven teachers. Um, the union, uh, they were white teachers. The union then closed the schools for three months. And I came right after that. Uh, somebody heard of my work um, in Ann Arbor and I came down there. So. A lot of times people talk about how important your first job is. I was with the radical educator, Rody McCoy at that time, and I was 26 years old. And uh, he was, he just passed away a couple of years ago. He was not afraid to die for his cause. Mm -hmm. I am afraid to die for my cause, <laughs> but just think about that. If that's your bottom line, then you can do anything you want. You gotta do what's right. In my case, I'm not afraid to be fired, and I get fired often, um, and that also frees you up to do what's right, okay? Yeah. So that was my beginning, uh, the help with, the, um, uh, with his underserved populations, be they six-year-olds, 16-year-olds, or 60-year-olds, and uh, so... After my stint down there, I had the chance to create a school from scratch out in Shoreham Wading River, Long Island. Uh, I was like 27 at the time. Uh, thought I knew a lot, but didn't know anything. But I was clear that schools were not very good. I wrote an article once for a, a, a book that said, some like I knew school was a joke when I was in seventh grade, okay? <laughs> I'd do these little reports, I'd just copy stuff, um, paste things in there and get an A, okay? So I knew that. So I always, I always thought education was bad, not real. And uh, so then when I had a chance to create a school from scratch, a middle school, um, I just said, let's go for it. And hired 27 teachers and built a building. And so that was beginning. Um, I'm one of these uh, people who work from seven in the morning till about eight at night. And I put a good 20 hours in the weekend. That's been my commitment in my entire life. Uh, I'm very lucky that I love my work. And after my first 10 years of working, I wasn't burnt out, but if you work like that, you have to create another part of you. So I had bought this little cabin in the woods in New Hampshire, and I just went there and used up all my retirement money and learned how to live in the woods and rebuild the cabin. Um, I did volunteer things. I became a state legislator. I uh, went, went on the school board. And then when I ran out of money, I took over a school there in the poorest town in, uh, in New Hampshire. And they tried to fire me in Shoreham Wading River and I won. They tried to fire me in New Hampshire 
And not only did I win, but there's a magazine cover, New England Monthly has said, he's the best principal in New England. He's just been fired. I just won principal of the year. So <laughs> I did that work. And then I was working with Ted Sizer in the Coalition of Essential Schools. And when Annenberg gave him a lot of money, he brought me to uh, Brown University. Then I had the chance, I'll be quick, sorry. Um, had the chance to create another school, the commissioner, um, Peter McWalter said, would you create a school? I wasn't a youngster anymore. I said, only if I could do it exactly how I want. <laughs> and he said, yeah. So Elliot Washer and I had to do that. And we created uh, Big Picture Learning, which was a nonprofit to spread our work. And then we created the Met School, which is in mm -hmm. Providence. And yeah. then Bill Gates found us and gave us a lot of money and said, put them around the country. And now yeah. we have about 75 schools in the US and close to 75 overseas. Can you drill down a little bit and tell us more about what your vision was when you started Big Picture Learning? What, were the, what was the problem or what were the specific problems you were trying to address? Well, again, the problems are that uh, high schools especially are very bad places. When they interviewed high school kids um, and asked them for one word to describe high school, that word was boring, which is so sad. This is, this is lively teenagers. If you watch them planning for the prom or on the soccer field, they're excited, enthusiastic people um, and school's boring. So it was really Elliot and I saying, you know, what should school be? We really closed our eyes and said, pretend like we didn't know what school is and what should it be. And that's where we decided that our, one of our mantras, one student at a time, every kid has their own curriculum. Of course, you gotta, you know, we had the broad goals. You have to learn to communicate and read and write and think, um, but you don't all need to be studying certain content. And that was 27 years ago. It's even clearer now because you can get that. You just need to be able to be a thinker, to, to have some morality, to, you know, so that's how we set it up and we, and kids gotta be known. So we set it up where every student was in the advisory. Some people think that, you know, that was the first advisory being set up in the country back in um, my first one back in 72. Um, and then you set up, the world should be your campus, not school. Schools are set up just to keep kids off the street. So we said our footprint was the city and the state. So that's why from ninth grade, kids follow their passion. So the idea is to engage kids. And so help them find their interests, their passions. No one's asked them that question. Put them with people that are great. So they wanna be with a car mechanic. You can teach anything through a car mechanic. They wanna be, a nurse, you can teach anything through it. We weren't trying to teach them necessarily to be a nurse or a car mechanic. We were putting them in a place where they love being. Um, and then they can learn to think, to read, to write. And, you know, if you come into our schools and you ask kids, what are you doing? They won't say, well, I got a B plus in science. And uh, they'll talk about their project. Well, I just got video cameras put up in all the bars because my uncle uh, um, 
uh, I got shot and they didn't have a camera in there and I passed, I helped pass a law or I got mm -hmm. seatbelts, you know, that they, they do stuff they care about. And mm -hmm. that's why everyone kind of laughed at us when we started the Met as our first school. And then, you know, we kicked butt. We had like 97% attendance, the city had a 70%. Yeah. We had most of our kids, 90 some percent going on to college. You had, so if you engage the kids, then you're doing it. And then we always planned to do the Met as a model for big picture, but then we moved even quicker when uh, Tom Vanderark from Gates said, this is great. And he learned it was great by not talking to Elliot and I, but by talking to students for two hours. And right. he saw that yep. passion. And yep. that's what you gotta do. You gotta get the fire in the belly, so. So in 20 million, right? Is that how much you got from the, from you the Gates it. Foundation? You got it, over the yeah. 10 years there. 2000 That's, to 2010 which is significant as you know um yeah. to get a gift like that from them yeah um now the, the med is now what 25 years old yeah um 95 26 or 27 i have trouble counting yeah well in either i mean that's a that's a good long ride uh yeah. in terms of a new a new model um and a new venture so as you look back uh, are there some things now that you would have done differently on the front end? That's one question. And then what, what are your biggest takeaways now based on what you've learned from that, that endeavor? The good news is Elliot and I, we're both bold. We know we have lots of examples of schools that start radically and then slip back. And so we also had some mantras, no backsliding, you know, when stuff's not looking good, it's easy to say, take out that text and turn to this page or to do more classes that might be irrelevant. Um, and so that was one of the most important things. We refused to compromise. We took a lot of aggravation from people around us because we didn't look like a school. If you have a great philosophy Great practice on the ground. A lot of people have philosophy and not the specifics. We got some very clear specifics on what you do that could be built around whatever city you're in. Providence is different than Oakland or Camden. That's all. Okay, so let's let's go to your uh, your new venture. So you have expanded your focus now to include higher education. Um, why the shift, and how is that going? And College Unbound is is your your new baby. So right. So probably about 12, 13 years ago, um, you know, I'm a problem solver. And uh, uh, we had done very well, had a great staff uh, helping to start the high schools. And then, you know, I looked at the colleges and our kids do pretty well in college because we get them to love learning and they all take college courses before they go. And they understand if something's like a bad lecture, but they understand, well, I gotta get through it. Uh, they don't just drop out. So we've done pretty well. So I wasn't interested in colleges for the Met or big picture schools, but I looked at the data and this is hard to believe, but I actually see it in writing. You can check it out. Like if you're in the bottom quartile, 
um, uh, uh, financially, and you finish high school and start college, regardless what color you are, um, 89% drop out, never make it to the end. Well, that's ridiculous. That to me is the college fault, not the kid's fault. Mm. Something's wrong. And you know, when I used to I see surveys, when they were asking colleges, how do you do better? You know, colleges have approximately a 50% dropout. No one, mm -hmm. no one talks about that. You know, I mean, the top colleges have a 2%. Uh, right. Many of the community colleges have an 80% dropout, but it ain't good. And when I saw surveys, they always blame the high school or the student. Mm. And, you know, I could uh, blame middle schools. I could have uh, blame middle school can blame elementary. It's your obligation to take the students wherever they're at and move them there. And so when I saw that statistic, it was like, before people started talking about colleges weren't very good. They weren't even talking about they're too expensive. You know, it was a few years later when they came out with the study that who knows how good the data was that four years of college didn't really move you anywhere. You know, the rich went to the rich colleges and came out uh, smart as they right. were going in. So that just became a challenge, you know. And so I started talking to people about it. Everyone tried to convince me, don't do it. <laughs> um, and then we jumped into it. And uh, uh, Adam Bush, who was finishing in graduate school, a friend, California, came uh, out here to help us start, start it. A woman, Jamie, Jamie Scurry, was working with us. And we just said, let's start. And you couldn't start a college so by yourself. So we partnered with other colleges. So we so found that's the how local. you got that's yeah. how you got started. Yeah, right. So we found Roger Williams University yeah. that wanted more students of color and wanted a Providence uh, center. So I, we went around the country, got a group of 10 or so kids from our schools and said, let's go, you know, and they gave us a lot of leeway because they trusted us, you know. Mm -hmm. So we had a house, we had a house person living there. We created our own, um, you know, uh, we, we taught our own courses. And then um, two years later, started getting a demand. A year later, a 35 year old came and then a 45 year old came. And they said, we can't get in any other place. You know, it's like too hard. So I put out a little Facebook thing saying, Come to the med school at seven o'clock next Monday if you're interested in, uh, in returning to college. 78 people showed up with a couple mm -hmm. days notice, all demanding, you got to start something for us. You know, I've been out 15 years. I have 129 credits, but no one's taking them in. So I got to do it. So that was what really pushed us to the adult learner. And we, we then moved to partner with Charter Oak State College that concentrated right. on adult learners. And uh, we used their courses, some we taught, and we did the work on the ground. Um, and then we finally said, you know, part of the problem is much of, in my head, of the college curriculum isn't right. You know, your college professors, many are just trying to teach people to be uh, 
they teach to the 2% that will be professors of economics or professors of psychology. And so we really wanted to um, do our own curriculum. And everyone told us how impossible it was to get accredited. And our Fred Ted Mitchell, who was uh, um, a secretary of education or undersecretary at that time, and has been a friend said, go for it, man. You're never gonna be happy with somebody else's curriculum. And we began the journey and you had to get approval in your state before you can do anything. Right. So we've written all those 200 page documents. We've had people come and look at us, interview everybody. We were in 2015, we got approved in the state of Rhode Island. We were the first school in 26 years to get approved. The first new first new first school. New school. Yeah. Right. And other colleges had kept people out for some reason, you know, and uh, that approval allowed us to go through the five-year process with, it was called NIAS back then and NECHI, which right. is the New England certification. And, yep. and we did look at other options. There are easier options, but we figured if we're going to be so drastically different, Right. That it would be great if we had one of the top accreditations in this country. So, yeah. and they were, you know, at the beginning, I was very nervous and they were very cautious. As you may know, many schools are closing in New England mm -hmm. and it's up to them to protect uh, the student from that. Mm -hmm. And then as they got to know us, they became very supportive and helping us move forward. In 2019, we got federal, the federal okay to give financial aid. And November 2020, we got our full accreditation. And, you know, the majority, 70, 80% of our people are on Pell. Um, and we needed that in order to function. And yeah, congr congratulations. That's fabulous. And you were telling me when we came on that what's the latest good news that you just got? Well, you know, it seems like every half year somebody else has to okay us. So uh, we had to be okayed in Rhode Island after five years, but then it was a month before we got okayed regionally. We got that. So just last night we got our final full approval here in Rhode Island. So, um, you know, we have all the pieces and, uh, one of the beautiful things, and, and I'll explain the college a bit, is the visiting team said College Unbound was as much a, um, what did they, what were their exact words? Uh, a community organization, community-based organization, as well as a college. Mm -hmm. So that made us very proud. Our goal is really to help our students transform themselves, their families, and their community. And when mom hasn't been to school for 20 years, and all of a sudden doing homework late at night, and her kids come to her graduation, that raises the probability of that son or daughter going on to college. And, and we got an award, a RISE award for our influence on that next generation. So. Mm -hmm. We're trying to establish something that's very new. It's a college that so we can give the bachelor's degree because 
that still is a proxy as, as much as certificates are important and a lot of people are moving. When you go for a job and they see you have a bachelor degree, they go, oh, okay. You put in your time or something, you know, and we have one degree in um, uh, organization, leadership and change, yep. which was our attempt to be broad enough. Um, in our world, you just need a bachelor degree. Doesn't right. really matter what it is, you can, you can learn that. And the great part is, I don't know, something like 80%, I don't have the data in front of me, of our graduates, which is a small number. Um, you know, it's, it's close to 150, have moved up in their job and got a raise. There has never been a better time to study higher education. And the Bay Path University Master's Degree Program in Higher Education Administration has been designed with this in mind. Through the highly practical and relevant coursework, you will learn to identify emerging trends and apply cutting edge practices to address the challenges faced by higher education professionals today. Classes start every eight weeks and are taught entirely online by supportive professionals who have deep knowledge and skill in the practice of higher education. This Bay Path program offers unique concentrations in enrollment management, institutional advancement, and online teaching in program administration. There's even a joint entry track with a doctoral program in higher education leadership and organizational studies for highly qualified applicants. Whether you are already a higher education professional or you're looking to switch professions to work at a college or university, the Masters in Higher Education Administration from Bay Path University will expand your career opportunities and provide you with personal mentoring and lifelong networks of like-minded professionals. Take the next step. Visit our website at baypath.edu slash higheredadmin. The need for qualified administrators in higher education has never been greater. Again, that's baypath.edu slash higheredadmin. On your website, you say that College Unbound fills a unique niche in post-secondary education for returning adult learners with a bachelor's degree program designed around an innovative, personalized, interest, project-based curriculum model. How does that actually play out in real life? So when a student comes in, the main part of what they do is create a project in which all the courses they take, just give them a lens or more skills to do it. So I'll give you an example. And, and things range from, uh, we had a woman whose child passed 10 years ago at a young age and, and as a baby, and the woman never got to process that, okay? And so she took it as an opportunity I'm going to study the disease the kid had. I'm going to set up a nonprofit. I'm going to have a ceremony around it. So 
everything she learned was how to do that, how to present mm -hmm. that, how to um, what it means, the data, the kids had died in that way. So what I say is that woman wasn't dropping out of school. You know, our first class had an 80% graduation rate. You know how amazing that is? When community colleges are from 8% to 20%. And, and these are all people that have dropped out two or three times. I should say they stopped out. You know, the college failed them. So then you have somebody else who had, uh, we work inside the prison and then help when, when our inside students come out. Um, so there was a man that had this project. Um, he wanted to rebuild his neighborhood when he, He'd been in prison for 20 some years. So his project was to purchase this house that he eventually got the bank to give him and to make a center for students. So he wasn't leaving that, that was his job. You know, somebody else was doing how to build a transportation system that supports adults. So whatever the interest was, we would help him build. And we built this program around adults. So they had to be out one night a week for three hours. They come at 5.30. Uh, we have a great financial model. They come to our school or their place of work. We bring food, we bring the professors. Um, and then they go online for two other courses. So we really set up a system that makes it much, I don't wanna say easier, it's not easy, but much more convenient for working moms uh, and dads. Uh, we have a strong program in prior learning experience. Uh, a lot of these people have done great stuff. So right. we worked with Kale, we have a tough process, but they can get credit for it. If they show what they learn, they write about it. And even things they do now, somebody's boss sends them for a week leadership training. Write it down, bring it back, show me what you learned. So we look at learning as in the world there. So most colleges say the right thing in their uh, brochures. We teach problem solving, we teach collaboration, we teach, but then if you look at what the students do, they're just taking sociology course, this course, that course. All our courses were in each of those subjects, but it's, the professors say, how do you relate that to your project? Right. It's not just studying certain content. So our research course isn't, let's do a, a fake research project. You're learning these skills to do research. So one of the things that I'm about is being honest about what you say and what you do. Huh. And we all know we've read about cool places and we go to them and they ain't cool. And so we had something called the Big Ten, which was the problem solving, the communication, the, the collaboration. Uh, um, and we said, not only are those important, but that's what you're gonna talk about every eight weeks when you have an exhibition. You know, you're not gonna talk about the little things you learned in the social class. You're talking about how that relates and how you how you applied it creatively. And then people before they graduate have to do a portfolio for every one of those and they get a credit for each one. So we're not perfect on it, but you know they've been thinking about those. And I can more proudly say that we have some indication 
that they didn't just memorize staff, but they showed their stuff. Does it take a special kind of faculty? I mean, I, I, I would imagine not everybody is wired to teach in this yeah. kind of setting. So what is there, who do you look for uh, to put well, in the that's a, that's a good question. Um, the people who come to us are the people who like our philosophy, like our demographics. So we have professors from the local colleges that are teaching the privileged. And those that want to do more come to us for a little side job. Mm -hmm. Then we have community activists who say, wow, I know a lot. Let me teach here. So mm -hmm. we have something called lab faculty, which is um, uh, the faculty on the ground that really works with projects, kind of a faculty of practice. And then sure. you have people that do in the courses. So one, you got to train people. You know, you got to say, to this writing teacher, you know, you're good, but the writing's not connected to what the student's doing. Mm -hmm. You know, it needs to be connected to that. If they're writing an op-ed, it's not a random op-ed, it's to support their project, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's a lot of training that we're talking about now. And it's also getting people who come to us because they know we're different and want to do something different. And if they can't change and you try training them or, you know, you, they move on because they know it's not right for college unbound. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so how many students do you have now in college? So right now we have 165 FTEs, full-time student. And, um, because of the pandemic, we're also okayed as an online college. So, um, so we're looking at what that means under something called the SARE agreement for online mm -hmm. colleges, right. um, how to spread. But right now we're just concentrating on getting our systems down well um, so that we can keep getting better, you know, uh, in what yeah. we do. So, and do you, do you envision getting bigger or are you at, uh, a good size for what you're trying to do? Um, we're talking between 350 and 500 in our city. Uh -huh. um, and at some point we'll go back to Nechi and talk about what it means to spread to our other cities. Okay. Oh. Well, because I was gonna ask you I, if, yeah. I have schools and all those. So you exactly. have buildings to work with, and right. in the evening for low cost or free, you have people who know the community. So um, that that will be once we get we feeling comfortable where we are, uh, we'll start talking about that. Yeah. So just like you did with the Met on That's the right. front end, you want right. to you want to take the model more broadly. Um, yeah. So one of our one of our original goals is to help reinvent what post-secondary ideas, okay? I don't have, um, I don't have the idea that we're gonna change colleges that have been there a couple hundred years or whatever. Sure. But I do have, everyone's now looking at the new student, which is the majority student is the older student who doesn't mm -hmm. live on campus. Right. We know how to do that. We think we can help people with that. And also I think about 
how, how to almost create a new kind of institution that can give a bachelor degree, but can help change the city. I mean, if you look at our city, it's not gigantic city, but every kind and by, of- And by city, you mean Providence. Yeah, Providence, Island, yeah. Where you're located, yeah. Right, sorry. Every kind of, everywhere you look, our college unbound students or graduates are making change in that city. Mm -hmm. I would hope someday mayors would say, we want you here because you are, this is the next generation, you know, 80% of our students are women of color with an average age of 35. Mm -hmm. And they become the movers and shakers, you know, so one's leading the Black Lives Matter movement, somebody else is leading this movement. So I think we're helping to, our students are helping to change the world, which is what we need. So. Yeah, literally, and in real ways. I think that's, that's right. very, very exciting. So that's right. now I was going to ask you for your current assessment of how we're doing with higher education in this country, but you've, you've sort of um, gone there. I mean, I, I'm, I take it that you think there's a lot of change that is needed, which is what you've set out to try to do, at least through your own uh, your own venture, but is there anything else that you would you would say more more broadly? Well, I mean, I respect all the colleges out there. They do a good job for a certain kind of student. Um, but the world's changing, you know, as we know what happened with the pandemic. Uh, you know, it was a bunch of years ago, about five years ago, a woman came in who was in medical school just starting. And she wanted to work in our prison program. And I said, well, what's your schedule? And she said, I can work anytime. Uh, we got videos of the uh, classes and notes and I don't have to do anything. This was five, maybe eight years ago, you know? So the world's changing in that way. People, students are asking for more. Um, certificates short term are, you know, they're great, but I think we got to think long-term also. Like once that job changes, are you prepared enough to be flexible and broad enough? This argument about uh, liberal arts versus jobs, I think is not the right argument. Uh, you can do both. You know, right. we, we all need a broad education in some way and we better be prepared to work tomorrow and in five years because we got to take care of our families. So. I, I would, uh, here, here's my thing. I know how hard it is if people are listening or in a college and try to find what the lever is, you know, is it through continuing ed? Is it through uh, early on in my life? Uh, it's, I was at Stony Brook University. I got to have my own teacher training program. So somebody gave me the right to, to do that and, and do it in a different way. So I think people are open to alternatives. Colleges are not open to making big changes, except some of them, you know, Southern New Hampshire keeps coming up with new things. There are other, uh, um, other colleges, some of the people you interviewed are doing great stuff, um, right. but try to find a niche where you yep. can make a change, you know? Yep. And the other thing is, if you can't find that, Come to College Unbound. We're growing and looking for people. <laughs> so I have people now applying for jobs who've been vice presidents at great colleges and say, yep. you know, uh, now I want to do what I really should be doing. Right, um, yeah. 
and apply for a job. And you also have young people saying, well, I spent a couple of years. And so I think it's important that we start without threatening people. We know that stuff has to change. Yeah, and there's a lot yeah. written about it, but not a lot done. Okay. Well, let's go back. I want to, and we're, we're getting to the end of our time here, but I do want to go back to your earlier comments about leadership. And so yeah. Dennis, if I were, if I were going to hire you to teach in our higher ed leadership program, we have a doctoral program at Baypath. Um, and I put you in the classroom with the students who are emerging leaders. So they're deans there. We have some provosts, we have vice presidents directors all they run the gamut um what would you tell them that they should be thinking about as they are beginning they're where you were 30 years ago maybe in yeah, terms of yeah. thinking about building their career um what advice would you have for them so i have this whole thing about walking the talk so one they may not all think they want change so that's okay too so one, I get them to really look why they came into that position. You know, are they in a position now they shouldn't be because they kept moving up? Um, and what do they want out of it? So I want people to be honest first with what do you want? And then once they get clear on that, which is not an easy process, but it's the same thing I've done with teachers. You know, so many teachers go in for a beautiful reason and then 10 years later, they forget that reason and are unhappy. So, um, so one, I get them to be clear about what's important to them in, and in education in relation to their job. And then we'll start talking about options. Okay, you either got to, are you getting that in your job? Yes, well, that's great. How do we get more radical about it? How do we get better at it? Okay, are you not getting it in your job? Then how do you make that change? Or do you, you got to change yourself and go to a place where you're supported? So um, basically, I'd make people come to grips with uh, what they really say and what they really do. And then I won't just talk in, you know, I won't just talk. It would be if they say, yeah, I'm making change in the way our student services are, you know? And then I'd make them bring that in. What is that change? Don't just talk about it. And how do you evaluate that change? And how do you go further? How do you keep pushing that edge? Mm -hmm. um, I have this quote that I end some of my talks on that says, if you're not standing on the edge, you're taking up too much space. <laughs> um, so that's what I would do to people. And if they say, I'm very happy where I am, this is it, that's fine. You know, everyone's got a role, um, but I would try to push anybody who's being honest that they're not serving the students philosophically and practically the way they want to do that. And I want to, I, I just want to add this word about, I know I've been described as this radical educator. I do not think of myself as a radical educator. Uh, and this is the sad part. I think of myself as a problem solver who's going in and trying to make change in things that aren't working. Mm. What I am is persistent as hell. <laughs> you know, I uh, somebody introduced me for a TED talk once is that Dennis doesn't know, no. So um, <laughs> that's a good thing. 
But this term radical, you don't have to be radical. You know, that's sometimes a term that's looked at. You know, it's like, you just got to do what's right, what you think's right. And I know the pandemic has helped people reevaluate what they think is important in their life. Um, so I say to emerging leaders, I don't want to hear, oh, I'm not bold. Oh, I'm not radical. Oh, I don't want to ruffle. All I want you to do is to be honest with yourself about what's important to do. And then be honest with yourself that you're really doing it. Or if you're not, say it. You know, I used to have this thing and some of my professors who used to think they were changing the world and I knew they weren't, you know? I respected them for what they were doing, but just say that. Don't try to pretend like by teaching one ed course, you're changing your state's education system. So mm. it's about honesty. It's about perseverance. Um, probably the the things that people say about me is one i'm enthusiastic because i'm passionate about what i think and if you're passionate this is not a job this is a way of life so if you're passionate about something i mean i once had our commissioner say to adam and myself you're never going to get a college in rhode island don't even bother and it was a friday afternoon and i said to him thank you very much i'll see you monday you know, it wasn't like a little project. This was what we're doing. So I want people to be bolder and more and persevere more um, and not just take a no. That's how change will happen. That's my advice for all you leaders out there. <laughs> that is great advice. So what's next for Dennis Lickkeith? I don't know what's next. I mean, I'm trying to get college unbound as it is to be as uh good as as it can be and then i'll either help it spread or hit the beach who knows so uh you you still have that cabin in the woods in i New still Hampshire? have the cabin in the woods and actually i'm glad you asked i've turned it into a 501c3 retreat center so the people that don't have a lot of money can have a place all the people that I work with in the schools where they could go and chill on the side of a mountain in New Hampshire. So oh. I'm just rebuilding that. I have a board of uh, people who are half my age to carry it on now and beyond. So thanks for asking. Well, Dennis, I, uh, I'm a big fan of, of you. your work and uh, you are changing the world. Um, one school at a time and one student at a time. And yeah. So congratulations on this past year. In the midst of the pandemic, you have achieved some big milestones. And uh, I wish you all the best and continued success going forward. That's great. And I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, uh, people love what I say. Buzz me up, man. We're expanding. Solson, and you've been listening to Ingenious You. My thanks to our production assistants, Madeline Olson, Marcy Moore, and Sequoia Cox. 
Ingenious You is a production of Chellup, the Center for Higher Ed Leadership and Innovative Practice at Baypath University. Check out our website at baypath.edu slash Chellup for information about our upcoming professional development opportunities, including our blog and our Leading Edge Thinking in Higher Education monthly webinar series. If you like what you hear on this podcast, be sure to review and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please do share Ingenious Hue with your friends and colleagues so that they too can join our community. In our next full-length episode, I speak with the highly accomplished leader, faculty member, speaker, author, and consultant, Dr. Mary Churchill. As a first-generation college student who describes herself as being from the pets or meat world, portrayed in Michael Moore's Flint, Michigan, Mary's professional trajectory was not entirely expected. Serving currently as the Associate Dean for Strategic Initiatives and Community Engagement at the newly established Wheelock College of Education and Human Development at Boston University, Mary served just prior to this as the Vice President for Academic Affairs at Wheelock College in Boston, an institution she helped to merge. The merger between Wheelock College and Boston University is the focus of a new book, co-authored by Mary and Wheelock's president, Dr. David Shard. In the book, When Colleges Close, Leading in a Time of Crisis, Mary and Dr. Shard describe the process of merging from beginning to end, as well as what they learned in the process. In our conversation, Mary walks us through the decision-making process leading up to the 2018 merger and shares her insights about the most essential questions to ask if a merger or a strategic partnership is on the radar for your institution. That's all for now. Thanks so much for listening. Stay healthy and be well.